right, welcome back, everybody, to another show of Flyweight Connections. Like always, my name is Chris. I'm here with my buddy Joe. Joe? Hey, how you guys all doing tonight? So today on today's episode, we have good buddy of mine, Jesse Lineberry, four-time Virginia Dakon champion and four-time competitor in Main Street uh, Dakon World Champion in Stuttgart. Hey, how you doing today, Justin? I'm doing well, guys. How are y'all? Not too bad. Not too bad. Just finished up duck season. <laughs> yeah. Was yours as bad as mine? I mean, you were there when I finished mine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so let, before we get into it, let's kind of talk about y'all's uh, little experience. Because I know you went down there with Joe in Louisiana down as, as Rice Lease. Um, and Joe probably doesn't want to talk about it because a little, uh, uh, I guess it, it takes a little from his manhood, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but um, so how was it? Well, I mean, regardless... I mean, I, I, Joe knows I don't care if I'm killing ducks, but if I'm in the blind or if I'm out there just getting after it's, it, for me, it's fun. So, yeah, it was a great time. We we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot more laughs than ducks, but sometimes that's okay. The <laughs> hospitality was great and the food is incredible. I could move down there and just eat the food. It, it's great. And it's a different kind of hunting than what I grew up doing. I've, I've hunted in a pit two three times in my whole life so it's it's cool to hunt to do that kind of hunting and see how folks do it and set up decoys and uh hear joe run a spec call which he does really well and get some specs to at least take a look which is really cool uh so it was a really good time we we had a lot of laughs and picked on joe me and the boys <laughs> gave him a hard time so all good times so did he take you to the infamous daryl's he did and it changed nice. my life yeah, the yeah. best sandwich I've ever had my whole life. I'm a big Jersey Mike's fan, and my wife picked up Jersey Mike's tonight, and it was good, but it's not the same. It just yeah, it, it took something special away. That's like his uh, his go to too. Is like every time I think the first time, we, yeah, he's like, well, uh, I'll tell you what, we're gonna have some good eating. I think the first, what was it? The no, we we did good the first time we went down there, like, and we still yeah, had we Darryl, killed ducks but, down there. Yeah, we killed ducks, uh, but. uh I think that the last time we went to the pit blind, um, we took TRD. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we went to Daryl's was definitely a lifesaver. And man, it, it's it's good eating. So mm. uh, we'll see here in, I don't know, maybe in the next com coming years, Joseph is probably going to try to franchise them out. So we'll see. But um, I guess let's go ahead and get into it, man. I, I, I did actually, I was actually curious about one thing. So duck calling how did you get into actually competition calling i know there's a difference between the competition calling and some your average let's say joe and i don't mean joe sorry, but joe like <laughs> the average joe out there calling for you know just to kill ducks i mean how did you get into that how what, what what brought you to that the world of duck calling yeah i don't know that there was this specific thing i i grew up uh duck hunting and turkey hunting quite a bit and my dad was a really good duck caller, still is a really good duck caller, really good turkey caller. And, I, and so it was just something that we did, right? And and I love that aspect of communicating with nature and trying to get a turkey to gobble or get ducks to break or get a goose to, you know, to cup up. And so I always enjoyed that. And I was probably late teens before I even realized what a robust network contest calling was. And you know, I'd always just blown whatever call you could get get your hands on. And I saw videos probably on RNTV or on one of the YouTube videos. Uh, someone blew a, a routine and I thought, man, that's really cool. I wonder if I can do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, tried doing it on, you know, whatever call I had on the lanyard at the time and quickly realized that wasn't going to cut it and kind of went <laughs> down that path of getting contest calls and trading that around and learning and Went to the Virginia State contest and really had no idea what I was getting into. I had a an MVP at the time, an RNT MVP, and showed up and did relatively well. I think I was in the top three that day, and there were a lot of really nice people. You know, Lawrence Mock and Lee Williams and uh, Trevor Shanahan, the Perez family, who I'm sure we'll get into, and I know Joe is close with as well, and just a lot of people encouraging me and uh, mustered up the gumption to call butch a couple of weeks later and order mvp from him and it was kind of off to the races then nice nice so what do you so okay what are you calling these days what, what is your number one go-to when you come you compete so i haven't competed <laughs> in a contest in a couple of years i've 
been kind of busy with work and school and just had my wife and I just had our first little one. So we've been, uh, there's, there's a no duck call in the house. (laughs) We kind of cut back on the practice time, but, uh, I was always an RNT guy and MVP guy. I, I don't think I ever competed in a contest with anything but an MVP. Uh, and, and if I had to compete in a contest tomorrow, I, I would, I would probably, I would certainly blow an MVP. Uh, mm-hmm. I have other calls on my lanyard to hunt with, of course, but um, the, I, th- I think the MVP is probably the way to go on the contest side. So I guess here's what I, one thing I'm kind of curious about, I guess when, and you, you guys called growing up, your, was your dad a competition caller? He wasn't, he wasn't, but he loved okay duck calling yeah and it it was just something that we did in our house my mom's got a picture of me like taking uh, (laughs) these little hand crafted decorative decoys and putting them on the rug and i was hiding behind his recliner with one of those little pop guns and a duck (laughs) trying to trying to work the ducks on the tv i guess i don't know so i mean was it i guess when you hit that that world of uh, mainstream calling what was it um, I guess more difficult for you from switching from the way you were calling because you just wanted to get ducks and everything. How was the, how was the transition for you? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I think it came with practice, right? Yeah. You certainly blow them similar, but there are things that, I mean, you certainly hit a contest call much, much, much harder. So yeah. if anything, it just made me better at running a hunting call. And it was just kind of adding to that, right? How do you control the call better? How are you more precise with the air? I think that those things were much harder. Those were the little nuances that maybe I had to pick up on is just the precision of the presentation and doing it the same way, right? Where sometimes when you're duck hunting, if that one's a little that one's a little clean or that one's a little raspy. It might not hurt you too much. Yeah, I mean, well, for you for you and I, what I've always heard talking to some of the guys that we know, um, that duck call is a musical instrument. And if you can control that duck call from top to bottom on an MVP, um, I mean, those disciplines are gonna go a long ways when you're blowing, you know, the daisy cutter or a mondo or you know, even FTM mm-hmm. in the in the duck blonde. It's going to probably want to build um, just more solid. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of lost the word right now. Um, that happens quite often. So if <laughs> <laughs> we go through the show, it's just techniques, <laughs> techniques, real, real solid techniques. Yeah. You bring up a good point. You know, there, there is a, a group in the waterfowl world that always says, well, those contest callers can't call ducks and, it's like saying, you know, because Kyle Bush drives a race car, he couldn't drive your your wife's Camry to work, right? Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Now, there's certainly a significant difference between how you blow a duck call on the stage and how you blow a duck call in a blind or in the woods, right? But you know, certainly if you can control an MVP, as Joe said, you can pick up a Mondo or a cold weather fan and and get all of it out of it. And I think that's probably where the contest guys separate themselves out not just being able to blow a duck call but be able to get all of most any duck call they pick up and that might not get you ducks a lot of days right but it's certainly a good way to keep the season alive all year yeah um so we talked a little bit how you started um how you got into it and uh i I think this is something that kind of intrigues me a lot more when it comes to waterfowl is that uh side of of uh because some people you can duck you can duck hunt you can waterfowl hunt and still not know how to you know call blow a duck call um you can use a whistle whatever but when it gets to that you show you show that to me it shows realism in your in your spread and your decoys and especially when you're having those days because sometimes those ducks do want to hear something um you guys obviously know that so um but another thing that i want to um uh get get a topic on it or want to conversate about was your exposure how was that exposure going from virginia duck calling uh champ to going to the worlds like it has to be like you know playing high school ball and playing in the sec or playing you know college ball and then going to the nfl do you know what i'm saying so how was that exposure for you yeah that was a humbling experience as well yeah. <laughs> so uh 
you know, I and you know, I've qualified several times, but I, I was never in that top tier of guys. And what you find going down there is you know, there's there's a middle group there, and I, I popped up into there a couple of times when I was there. I fell short of it a couple of times too, but you know, I kind of got in that top 35 range. But the difference between being in you know that 25th to 35th and being in that top five or top 10 every year is a huge step up. And that example you used, it's like playing single A high school football <laughs> and then you know, starting at LSU or starting at Auburn on a Saturday night, right? It's a, it's a completely different world. But it was a really cool experience, too, being backstage with, you know, I was there when Antonio won, when Brad Allen won a couple of times, uh, you know, being back there with Charles Petty and, you know, nice. being on the bus and Jim Ronquist is walking around with a camera and talking to Kent Cullum and Trevor and all these guys. It was a really cool experience. In the first year, I was probably pretty starstruck by all that. I think Jimbo actually came up to me with the camera for RNTV and asked me how my first routine went, and I just kind of stuttered terrible. <laughs> That's pretty much how I did go. So uh, it, it was certainly a humbling experience going from Virginia. And there's a lot of really good duck callers in Virginia, and I don't mean to disparage the state and the callers in the state. That's not the case at all. It's just you're when you get to the worlds, that means the best in the world. Right. And, and yeah. that's, a, that's a different level. And it's crazy. You, I mean, it's almost like, um, different regions, even, uh, in the worlds, like you can tell they're kind of like style of calling. Uh, I know when I, uh, Joe, Joe talked me and Joe talked a little bit about this in the past, but when I started watching videos of worlds, you can, and people talking about like, Oh, it's their style or whatever. And whatever it may be, whether West coast, you know, uh, wherever east coast style whatever maybe that just kind of you kind of gain that style or you guys even even now to this day um i saw some recent videos where it's just kind of like mixing up you can't really tell the difference mm -hmm. um but i guess it's kind of like i don't know playing sec football and then playing you know air rated offense out in the in the pac-12 or something so um, absolutely but um so Another thing, so we talked about, we're talking about SEC football and stuff, um, and a little birdie told me, uh, so are you an Auburn fan? Did you go to Auburn? So I'm at Auburn now. <laughs> I'm finishing up a master's down there, but I grew up a big Auburn football fan. I have to admit, my I come from a family of hardcore fans of that other school in Alabama. <laughs> and, uh, and so as a kid you have to remember pre-nick Saban Alabama was quite mediocre right and and Auburn was a was the better of the two programs so I jumped on that and Auburn's coach at the time was a big turkey hunter and yeah. you know it, it seemed like a pretty good fit right I could give uh my dad and brother a hard time and pull for the guy that turkey hunted that seemed like <laughs> a good deal uh, of course he left and Saban came and the rest is a dynasty I suppose <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm also a big college football fan, but I grew up a uh, Texas A&M fan, so I figured I put my hat on. But um, it, it was rough for us this season playing y'all. Uh, we I don't want to get it too much into football. But I, thought, <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought I thought I'd bring it up. Um, hey, A&M's a great school. They got a great atmosphere, a bunch of cadets, and uh, it's it's a cool. Home yeah, you know how nice, man. <laughs> Hopefully next season it gets. But, hey, we got. Time out, Joe. I still don't know which, which team you even go for in college. I'm an LSU fan, man. And he's he's from the West Coast. Yeah, it's, it's because I grew up a Shaq fan. I always liked. Oh, Shaq. okay, nice. I can. All right, I can respect. Did they that. play football out there? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we don't have. Well, I mean, down south, we have some southern teams that are actually pretty decent. Ooh. Were pretty decent. Were, yeah, were keyword were pretty decent. About yeah, 10, I don't think 10, the 15, back, 15, back told them relevance is what 2005 when or six or something when they played Texas in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. 2005. And then they vacated it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole complete different subject. Yeah. So <laughs> we're kind of going off of the subject because we'll get into this and then uh, we'll probably hang up on each other and never talk again. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. College football does that to people, but. Um, sure. but, uh, so man, I guess, uh, another thing is, and before we get in back in, in, into other conversations, cause we'll, we'll probably do that throughout this. And especially me, I have Joe didn't tell you, I, I'm, I kind of have like, 80, 
yeah, I scattered brain. So I'll, I'll jump topics and stuff and people, it probably drives people nuts, but oh, well, it's me. Um, so I guess one thing I wanted to really get into because we do have a lot of young following and we do have a lot of new waterfowlers. And I guess, uh, not all of us can be privileged with, you know, being around great callers and not to, or good callers who I, I mean, you may think other, um, and this is probably gonna make Joe's head get even bigger, but you know, I, I looked at myself trying to get <laughs> as good as Joe was, you know, I mean, you're um, in the wrong business trying to get as good as me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you see, they, I told you, uh, um, and I know we <laughs> talked last time, uh, and, and it's just for the listeners. Uh, Jesse kind of said like he he wished Joe would not call in the, in the blind with him. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <not> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm I'm just putting stuff. I'm just putting words in his mouth. But uh, anyways, when these 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 young waterfowlers or these these new waterfowlers coming into uh, duck calling, what are some maybe one or two? Let's say top three techniques they can do, and this this can be from buying looking for the right call and then just learning that quack. Cause I know the first step is learning that quack. Uh, everything else comes within time. What, what is, what are your top three techniques as far as, as when it comes to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you said it right. Getting the hang of the quack first is the key, right? You don't want to immediately try to do the hail calls and that's hard, right? It's kind of like in basketball, you got to learn to dribble before you learn to dunk, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. You, the dunk's cool, right? Everyone wants to be LeBron or Vince Carter, and that's awesome. But you, you've got to get the quack down, and you have to train yourself to use that hot air, right? It, with a dunk call, there's a propensity to want to blow cold air, like you're, you know, mm -hmm. just push that air out and cut the air off with the front of your tongue. But it's really key that you use that larynx and ha, that hot air, like you're trying to fog a mirror. And you get that quack down, and then you can start dragging those out into cadences, right? And then you can kind of get a hold of the feet. I think that's number one. Number two is practicing and finding, you know, avenues mm -hmm. to, to get better. And YouTube has made this much easier. And I was fortunate yeah. to be on the leading edge of that YouTube generation where you could get on and hear John Stevens or Trevor Shanahan or can't call them, blow it up call, right? And now the list of, of really excellent callers on YouTube that you can go listen to. It's just so long. The internet's connected us. You can get on a forum. You can get on Facebook and post something in one of the calling groups and blow a duck call and have, you know, five of the 15 best duck callers give you a response in five minutes to tell you what you need to do to get better. And I think come approaching it from that humble attitude is important. Mm -hmm. And I think picking a good duck call is important, but picking a call that's versatile and relatively yeah. easy to blow, right? Amondo is awesome. 90% of the time when I'm duck calling at real ducks, I'm blowing a Mondo or a cold weather fan or a short mm -hmm. barrel. And, and I love those calls, but I, you know, maybe an MVP or a Mondo that's hard to blow may not be what you pick up first. You know, yeah. if you can go to RNT shop or go see Stump and and blow one of his calls and let him tune one for you, that's probably your best bet. And getting something that's middle of the road, a short barrel, uh, a cold weather fan, or a his call a pothole or a four ten, something that's relatively easy to blow, but mm -hmm. that can be tuned to get more versatility yeah. out of it as you get better. I think is really really important. But if you can go to a shop of some a reputable call maker who makes a good duck call and get around them echo right go get an echo timber that'd be another one on the short list that can do a lot of things and you can be around some guys that are really good at it i think that's probably the key and the, the last point i'll add on the calls and i'm the worst about this i've never been a duck call i didn't like i love buying them and selling them and trading them as much <laughs> as but when you get one go get you a short barrel go get you a cold weather fan and learn to blow it and don't get into this habit of, well, that one's not quite perfect. Let me sell it, get something else and try to learn it and sell it. None of them are perfect, right? But until you get to the point where you can't get certain things out of that call, keep that one, get good at it, and then maybe look at, okay, well, this really fits my style better. This fits the geometry inside of my mouth or how I present the air best. Yeah, well, speaking of presenting the air, like I've, I've talked to Chris about this yeah. and other people so you know when you're learning how to how to duck call right mm -hmm. everyone keeps telling 
you to use certain words like hot, quick, quick, quack. But explain to us how they're not the actual, you're not using those words, but you're using the breath or the air presentation of those words. Give people techniques to use or, or how to, to trans to not use necessarily the words, but to transfer it over to taking that vocalization out and using then just that word's air presentation. Yeah, it's a really good point. And that goes back to getting that hot air up out of your chest, blowing from your chest rather than than blowing through your lips, right? And that's a lot of where we get that from. Like the hut or the hot is one that comes up a lot. And that's why when you say hot, if you'll put your hand in front of your mouth and say the word hot, hot air comes out, right? Because you you blow from the, the larynx, right? It's that hot. And the way you can test yourself to find out if you're presenting that air right is to flip the call around backwards and quack mm-hmm. into the call. You can kind of pick up on, okay, what am I doing into the call? Because then you're paying attention to the presentation and not listening to the noise. And you can use any of those words, quit, hot, put, whatever works best for you. Uh, just make sure that you're bringing that hot air up, right? I think that's really the key. And, and that's another thing, kind of the frustrations of getting good with a duck call. One of the things you run into is sticking the call, right? Generally speaking, blowing that hot air helps that, right? As opposed to kind of putting into the call, which tends it's to create a lot of that things like that. Yeah. So all that was, all this was, everything that was said actually was really good. And, so, and it's not just for, I mean, I, it's something I can learn, but. There's something that really bugged me of what you said, and it's bugging me right now. You said it, you put an example. It's like shooting, it's like learning to dribble and then learning to dunk. I'm 34 years old, I'm 5'7, I grew up playing basketball, I still can't dunk. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we should do learning to dribble and maybe learning to th- shoot threes because that's, that's, that's what, that was my go to game now when I, when I started playing ball. That's why like, there's a whistle. <laughs> yeah, I'm never gonna <laughs> dunk, so I'm probably just gonna shoot threes. So I, this whole conversation, like, man, all this stuff is great, but that little thing and what he said in the example is bugging the, the shit at me. But, <laughs> but uh, no, it was all great, man. And and that's something that uh, I, I think a lot of people kind of get confused and, and young kids and even uh, new waterfowlers and even people who've been uh, calling or been uh, duck calling. I think everybody always has, uh, and you guys, obviously, you know, and Joe knows, there's always something more to learn. So, um that's something also, great. Okay, yeah, go how, ahead. Jim. How much is finding a mentor in like the calling and the duck hunting aspect helps? On a, a, so me and you were lucky, right? You know, we grew up duck hunting with dads that were you know into it, grandfathers that are into it, and then somewhere in our adult years, we got lucky with getting with. And like I'm not bragging, we're we're both blessed, and we talked about it in the blind, talking about how lucky we were and how blessed we were just being at the right time, right moment of being around. Um, you know, guys that were in the industry, like you know, I said, I'll tell you, we we're talking about John Perez. Like I got lucky. I met John and I got lucky. John opened a lot of doors for me. Um, you, 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 yes, sir. You're, in your, in your early years, you were around Butch and all them and, you know, taking you under your wing, but you know, how much help is for these younger guys to find a, a duck hunting mentor, maybe, you know, someone down the street, an uncle, a friend or whatnot, or like you said, with YouTube, Find that one guy I guess you like on YouTube and really kind of just learning from that one person for consistency. I think that's huge. That's huge. And you're right. We were, we were both blessed to have dads that took his duck hunting and didn't yell at us when we blew ducks out every once in a while, right? <laughs> we're trying to learn how to duck call. And, um, at least I, I still blow them out sometimes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think we all do, but yeah, I think that is huge having a mentor. And one of the good things about, the duck duck hunting world is I think we are sometimes there is a lot of competition in the public land space and there's a lot of reason for that but generally you know if you're a kid and you're listening to this somebody will take you duck hunting um and and I certainly hope so if not we've got a lot of reflection on you as a (laughs) as a community if they want and uh, yeah, finding that mentor, you know, finding a call maker, call the call maker. I, you know, we've all had an opportunity to interact with a lot of those folks and just about all of them will take your call and, and give you feedback about what you're doing right and wrong on their call. Right. And, and what you need to work on and, and get better at. So that is incredibly important. 
Yeah, just uh, don't call uh, Joe because uh, he gets short-tempered real quick. <laughs> oh, only with you, bro. From experience. <laughs> <laughs> only with you. So I know we've said this before, but... Uh, yeah, I taught you how to use a whistle, didn't I? Yeah, Joe, I'm really... I mean, I kill it on the whistle. But uh, um, yeah, you've seen Happy Feet, right? We've said this before. I don't know. You've seen Happy Feet, right? Yeah. Jesse, you've seen that where that, that penguin, that the way he sings... It's kind of the same as me duck calling, so. <laughs> hey, I don't believe that for a minute. You say you've gotten better, though. You were sending me a Yeah, uh, so, I, so I, was, I was watching videos. I mean, you kind of heard some of my stuff when you're out in the blind, but um, I think it's just getting that. Uh, I'm just really working on the quack because, like you said earlier, and that you, you hit it on the nail, is like it's hard from, like, starting to start hell calling because you want to advance. You want to, you know, you want to, you know, I guess – run before you crawl. I'm not going to use your analogy dribble before you dunk. Cause I still can't dunk, but, um, <laughs> but you know, you get what I'm saying? It's like that, you know, it, you got to learn to hit off the tee before you can hit a, a fast pitch. So it's just, just one of those things. And I, I think, uh, it took me a little longer, but I think it's just because I, I focus a lot on like trying to get my, uh, other world of techniques down. Cause I mean, duck Collins, one technique, then you got tactics that you got to learn when you're waterfowling you got to, uh, you, you know, learning how you want your spread, learning how you want, how you want to, you know, hide your silhouettes or burlap or whatever, maybe just a bunch. It's just a lot of factors into it. And that's, that's, uh, that's something that got me, uh, I guess, attracted to the waterfowl community. And that's something I love. And that's something that I'm still pursuing. But we, I think talking to Joe too, even as experienced as you or him, uh, are, um, you're always learning. There's yeah, we learn Joe, something Joe, every yeah. day. And Joe, Joe talked yeah. about this. I mean, you, me and Joe talked about this the other day. It's like there's new stuff coming out every day, and it's just and there's old stuff that were out back then that are now being popular now. And we we talked about the other day, Joe. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, even hunting with Jesse, like you know, bantering back and forth about calling and all that. Um, you know, learning the. You know, I'm not a, I am a big Mondo fan. We talked about this and my wife, we talked about it in my house. There's two things we don't talk about in my house, 1911 pistols and RMT <laughs> Mondos. Cause if you want to see something that's gone in and out Joe's shelves or Joe's uh, safe is custom 1911s <laughs> and Mondos. I've, we talked about trading good duck hauls and some, that's me. I, I, because I'm not a duck haul collector. I'm not, I know. I get a call and I don't use it for a while. Like, well, I'm not using it and I, I'll get rid of it. But then I'll, I'll be like, man, I really wish I had that call back. And um, like now I'm looking for, like, I'm looking for a Mondo again. Cause you know, watching you break those mallards we had and having them hovering with that Mondo and just, you know, makes me think, Hey man, that's something I'm, I am missing in my, on my lanyard, on my repertoire. And um, you know, you just constantly learn every, you know, every time taking techniques from people from different flyaways um, I mean, that's why I mean, I like uh, duck hunting so much because deer hunting is kind of deer hunting, you know, no offense to people, but someone in South Georgia is putting out a pile of corn over a feeder in a stand the same way they're doing out here in Louisiana. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's something uh, I mean, I, I did with, was a uh, big game hunting before I got into the waterfowl. But um, let me ask Joe, what is your definition of a call collector so my I, I i've seen your i've seen your calls yes but all, I don't <laughs> have seen all the calls you have so i don't have what they call shelf queens right okay. all my calls get used throughout the year um and I, I, I do have some calls that should be shelf queens yeah and they have scratches and marks on them but i mean i guess a call collector someone who you know they have their same two calls that are constantly going to use but they buy um, expensive, lavish calls that are, you know, or will be sitting on their call uh, shelves. They'll never get used. I mean, because yeah, you have some, uh, you I think, I think you even have like a custom like call holder or whatever. Yeah, my uh, wife made that. <laughs> okay, I was just saying, what, yeah, what's, a, what's your definition of a call collector? Because <laughs> I, I want to know, is it? If you have more than 10 calls, are you a collector? Or is it, <laughs> if you have more than 50 calls, you're a call collector. Because I think you're past that 50, bud. No, I'm not uh, past 50, but I'm, <laughs> there's some calls in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, man. But uh, So 
Um, I guess let's get into, uh, I guess, something that me Joe's always curious about, too, is how, how did your season go so far uh, this past season? It was it was pretty rough. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was really bad. It, so I live in a unique part, not really in in a flyway. Right. I live in the southwestern part of Virginia, right up the road from Virginia Tech. And um, mm-hmm. so I live on the New River, which, you know, kind of comes off of the Ohio. Right. So we get a few ducks that pass down through there. But for whatever reason, the, the last three or four years have been really rough. And there's been a lot of conversation about mallard populations that breed in upstate New York. And I'm not a biologist and I know there's a lot of debate there. Right. But certainly our numbers have been down the last few years. And I don't know how much of that's weather versus breeding versus food availability where we are which has been impacted too but it it was just a tough year we had one pretty decent mallard hunt early in the year but we only get two mallards now and that's what we harvest most of so um it was it was just one of those years you know and the weather didn't get here till now i actually think there's a few ducks around today you know we yeah. finally got that yeah. Weather, season's but, over yeah uh, i yeah. would be okay if we got to hunt them in february but that's just not the case yeah that's crazy because you're not the only person that's talked about that in any flyway so far. If you're anywhere south of, let's say, the Mason-Dixie line or even anywhere close to that, it's been insane. And that I think everybody is – I don't know everybody's experience, but the majority of the people that me and Joe have talked to like in Louisiana or even here in Texas where I'm at or there where you're at, it's it's it has been a rough season. But you see pictures of guys up in Nebraska, uh, up north in Wisconsin <laughs> and Michigan – like. They're like, oh, this season's great. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> keeping them up there, bud. Like, let 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 us let the boys in the south have some. Like, uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's insane. And uh, I I'd be curious to talk to a biologist. Maybe maybe the weather had something to do with it. Because, like you guys said, with this cold front that we're having right now, it's coming in. Like, uh, I don't know if y'all heard how I guess the whole thing that happened on news have how uh dumb us texans are from that cold front that were we had no electricity it was like a i don't know but we're about to have another one so they're they're preparing for another one to come through and uh today i went out and i saw i saw i saw every i saw geese i saw birds in the sky i saw i mean just everywhere i saw ducks and it just blew my mind i was like man just give me two more days like god yeah but I mean, even Jesse seeing, we didn't see a lot of ducks. Second day, we seen pretty a, a decent amount. But mm-hmm. by the time they get here to Louisiana, they're so well educated. Yeah. And there's so many. That I even Jesse said when, when I picked him up on the plane, like I can see why a duck wants to come to Louisiana. There's water everywhere, and there's rice fields everywhere. Everyone's flooding rice, and just because they're flooding doesn't mean they're hunting it. So I think for us down here, they got so spread out and just being, I mean, by the time they get here to Louisiana, they have a PhD in uh, survivability. <laughs> I mean, oh, they've yeah. been shot at from Can- from Manitoba all the way down here to Lake Charles, Louisiana. I mean, the ones that we get hit, the dumb ones, the dumb, dumb ones died around the Dakota time frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dumb ones don't get out of the Dakotas. And um, it's hard. Not, I mean... But we've seen so many geese. And even those geese are so educated. Like, you know, there was, I think there was a one flock where I was like, hey, get down, get down. I, they're going to do it. And everyone's ready. Everyone's like super pumped. And then all you hear is that. Mur, 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 mur. I was like, <laughs> and they, they don't even fight flare. They just kind of just go away. Like right about, about 60 yards out. And you're just like, God dang. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, those are smart birds for sure. Yeah, for sure. When we broke those mallards and they were hovering up there above us, and she was just quack, quack, quack. I was yeah. thinking the only way this happens if God ordains it, because there's no way those ducks <laughs> are falling for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's weird because you, you turned them on a dime. They're about 200 yards out before you before you got on that mondo, and, and the, they came in and um. You know, for you know, guys, you know, I know we're using uh, terms that people may may or may not know. The Mondo, Mondo is an RMT call that's um, what they consider a cut down call, a derivative off of old D2O that they used to use back in the early 30s. 
Um, and that they used to modify and call it a cut down. And now, you know, through the, you know, the way uh, evolution worked with the duck calls, you know, we've remade it as a, a Mondo. And there's other brands that make, you know, these cut down style calls. But I mean, it worked and they wanted to come, but it was just, it's just like you're saying, you know, getting from like, you know, from round two to, you know, the third round. By that time, late season duck calling, it's such a, a minute thing that could get a duck to, you know, maybe look for another field or, like, you know what, this is the field I want. So, I mean, for, you know, being, you know, an, a pretty good, well, I, I think of you as an advanced caller, what are some techniques and ways for, you know, the average hunter to do when they're reading the birds or in the late season, what can they do to finish those real wary birds? Yeah, and I, if if somebody else knows, let me know because <laughs> um, I don't think there's any magic formula. I think it's the classic stuff that you know we were talking about mentors. The same stuff granddad or dad taught you, right? You got to be where they want to be. You got to hide from them, and then you can worry about the spread and and how you call them. But the first two, you know, if you get those two things out of the way, then the, the second two get a heck of a lot easier, right? And so I, I think it's read them and. Uh, you know, kind of paying attention to the way they act. And I, I'm, we were talking about Mondo's and Joe did a really good job explaining that. I, I'm a big fan of a loud, raspy call, a Mondo, a cold weather fan, something with a lot of duck. And I've always been of the opinion that I'd rather use a loud call and use it less than blow a, a quiet call the entire time they're working. Right. And so just trying to, to, to hit those ducks on the corners and kind of pay attention to what they like and what makes them pick up and not calling too much when they're directly over top of you. A lot of folks debate about that, but if you're not hid real well, those ducks do a pretty good job in my experience of picking up where that sound's coming from and sometimes letting off of them when they're doing that. And part of it depends on the wind. They're way easier to work when you got a lot of wind, right? But when you don't have much it's kind of a, a trial and error thing as to whether they want to hear a lot or hear a little. And just like turkey turkey hunting, some days they want to be talked to all the time, and other days, you know, they they seem like they kind of want to be left alone. Yeah, that's – and I, I'm with you as far as, like, because I've, I've done a lot of turkey hunting too growing up, but um, I don't I don't think I do as much calling as y'all, so I think that's something that uh, – a little bit, uh, I guess, more forte. Um, but I think at least what I found, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there's days that I'll call and the birds will come. Now, when I call, it's just quacks here, quacks there. Um, and then there's days where I'll quack and they don't want to go there. And they they just, and I wonder, I mean, is that, I, I think sometimes they want it, they want to hear it, sometimes they don't. And I could imagine when you guys are out there, it must be frustrating because that's something that's a big arsenal in y'all's tool belt when you y'all go out there so oh yeah well i mean if if you looked at it on our lanyards between me you and our, my kids you know yeah i've I, seen it <laughs> I, I, I picked on them with the guy you guys are a little spoiled because they have some you know they yeah. have some adult size lanyards it's rough <laughs> it, it's a rough when you when you think about man how much money this you know how much money that one blind man invests in just calls and we can't get two mallards a break but <laughs> but go like so like what, what Chris is saying is, yeah, I've been there where sometimes less is more. And you've seen I've I've seen ducks where they want they want movement over everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And other ducks where you know they want to hear it, or you know, they're hearing you, they want you to call all the way until they got the boots in the water. Um but kind of talk about your lanyard and how you have it set up with the different sounds and um why is it important? You know, there's some guys that say, hey, I, I have two or three calls, a goose, a goose call, a whistle and a duck call. That's all you need. Uh, but, you know, for me down here, I need sometimes I need different sounds. What's the importance of having a different sounds and different pitches? And do you need it or, or you know, or, or, or is it kind of gimmick? I don't know. I, and there it probably depends on the day that you ask just about any duck caller, right? What, what they like. I'm, I'm a fan of having kind of the extremes, right? Again, I tend to like a loud call because you can blow a loud call quiet, but it's, you can only blow a quiet call so loud, right? And yeah. so I, I blow a Mondo LT. The, most of the time I have a cold weather fan, which I'm a huge fan of. 
after blowing Joey's four ten, I think I'm gonna have to have to get a four ten <laughs> too. Uh, that was I, I love that little thing. And then I have a a, a wooden RMT short barrel that's really nasally and really mellow. So the idea there being you have a mondo, it's really loud, really harsh, it barks, and then having a, a quieter, mellower call for those days where they they just need a little bit of talking to, or a day where you don't have a lot of wind, right? If you've got one of those kind of low ceiling, cloudy, foggy days where the sound just carries a long way and seems like it's echo, and then then I'll blow that call. But there's not a whole heck of a lot of thought to it, and it's changed over the years, but generally it's been something loud and harsh and something quiet and mellow, and I don't think you can go wrong with that pair. And a whistle. You know, we we joke about a whistle, but sometimes they love to hear that Drake whistle, and you never yeah. know if you're going to run into a pintail or teal or what have you. Yeah, no more making fun of Chris. Those <laughs> <laughs> uh, jerk strings kill ducks too. Yeah, motion motion okay. kills ducks. That's yeah, right. that was my job uh, hunting with Joe. He's like, yeah. "Don't call it just here. Here's a jerk. Here's string. a jerk. You, really, pulling you do really good at that." I was like, yeah. "All right." <laughs> and he kind of got me the first time we went out a couple of, when we first started going out hunting together, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm the best jerk stringer ever." And I thought about, it, I was like. My dad used to do this to me. This, this is kind of uh, insulting. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. keep going, son. Yeah. It's like, it's a little, yeah Hand me the tools. Uh, hold yeah. the light. Like, hold whatever. But man, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, and then this, this goes with everything. I, and y'all know, I mean, it, what it, everything works with motion in the water, jerk string, um, calling. Uh, it just, I think everything works. And I think I found that more hunting these uh, timber holes with Joe. We just kicked the water and they loved it. You know? Yeah. Loved it. And it, it was, and I, I do that till this day when I'm up here yeah. hunting in Texas. So it's, it's. Well, I mean, a big thing is staying consistent. I I know we talked about it. I mean, I, I'm consistent with everything I can with calls, decoys, um, my chokes. Is it staying consistent? I mean, just to kind of like Jesse talked about earlier, is some guys will get a call, they blow it a little bit, and that calls they haven't outgrown that call. I mean, they just haven't they haven't mastered to to that call yet. They're like, well, this doesn't sound sound good. It can't be me. It has to be this call. <laughs> then they go get something else. And once again, it can't be me. It's this call. Same thing with shooting. Like, oh, I'm not missing the I'm not missing the clay pigeons, or I'm not missing the duck. This choke is has. I, I need to get a new choke. Another hundred dollars. Another hundred dollars. Or Cabela's or Academy. They sold me blanks, so it's like yeah, uh, yeah. You know, different shot shells. So I mean, yeah. a lot of it is finding the right shot shell that fits you and your choke and your shotgun. Finding that call that you're comfortable with. When you're comfortable, you're confident. When you're confident, you're going to kill ducks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, so I guess. Uh, Kind of my last thing, uh, and I will, we'll keep on going to, uh, with Joe's topic. But so when you when you're your setups, what do your setups look like when you're as far as shotguns, choke uh, shells? You are you the kind of like whatever shells I can grab out of my bag, or do you have specific ones you like? Um, how does your setup look like when you're when you're out there, um, basically just killing ducks? Yeah, so it, I'm definitely one of those get whatever's out of the box. You know, it's, if it's dark and my flashlight battery's dying, it might be two, three inch and a three and a half. And you're just kind of guessing what's coming next when you're shooting, you know. So I don't have a favorite shot shell. I mean, we shoot expert or federal or whatever we can get. Now, we pick up a box of balls if we're going on a, a hunt where we think something like pintails or canvas backs are going to be around. I'd certainly get a box of that. You know, it's good stuff, that or heavy metal. But I, I do shoot a pattern master choke. I'm a fan of those. I think they're they're maybe worth the investment. And um, yeah, just shoot a, a Beretta shotgun. That uh, my favorite's a Eureka that I got back in high school, and they've <laughs> shot it a whole bunch. And that's my favorite. I've got a couple others, but that one's probably my favorite. And uh, we run small spreads, so three dozen decoys is a lot for us mallard hunting. We hunt a lot of small water, a lot of small creeks, and when we hunt public stuff, it's still usually working small bunches. Yeah, obviously, if we dive or hunt, then it that dictates a large spread. But we hunt a lot out of boats or layout blinds, so. 
the part nice. of uh, Virginia I'm, I'm at, we've got some lakes and rivers where we can run jet boats, which is kind of cool. And we run an Avery pop-up that's probably 30 years old, 20 years old anyway. Um, and then when we're hunting fields, we just hunt layout blinds. We hunt a lot of hay pastures that have small creeks in them and try to hunt those when things aren't, fr- when everything else is frozen, right? We try to get on those. So nothing particularly special or complicated. Yeah. Um, out there in Virginia, um, on the Atlantic Flyway, what are the main ducks you do see? I know you see, you say you see a lot of mallards, but you know, unfortunately, the you know, on the Atlantic Flyway two years ago, they dropped it from a four bird limit down to a two bird limit for the mallards. What what are other birds that you know kind of fill that six bird bag? We have a lot of black ducks, which is really cool and something that a lot of the country doesn't have. So that's something I probably took for granted as a kid. I, I was much older before I realized that that was something special. We have pretty good wood duck hunting. It depends on the year and water level like it does for everybody. Yeah. Right. There are years where we have divers. You know, we get bluebills and have in the past had cool trophy ducks like redheads and canvas backs and have killed a few over the years. But you really need to go to the coast of Virginia on the Potomac River or out on the Sounds in North Carolina to get into that. But a few pintails every once in a while. Uh, but most of our birds throughout the year are mallards, black ducks, and, you know, a few teal, buffleheads, ringnecks, things like that. A few gadwalls, but not too many. And we have, like most of the country, you know, more resident geese than you can buy shotgun shells for. Yeah. Um, you guys also have a, what do you call it, a uh, resident goose season in September? We do. We do. Now, one thing I do envy you guys in Virginia and I know you say you guys where you're at, you don't get much teal hunting, but I really love that September. Now you guys with your with your teal hunting, you have that blue wing slash what do you call it? Um wood duck. You should both shoot both of those in September. Where here in Louisiana, we have plethora of wood duck in September. We can only shoot those teal. <laughs> right, right, right. I think mean, I think that's a uh Louisiana State game. Um Tra- um, trap. <laughs> well, I I would I would love to to have teal like you guys do though. I yeah. enjoy our wood duck hunt, but uh, it'd be cool to see some blue wings. I've seen one flock of blue wings my entire life. We just don't have many. It's too cold by the time the September season rolls around. Now we'll have them sometimes in the summer, but it's really rare for us to keep them through Labor Day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we we'll, we're gonna change yeah. out to September. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah, we're changing yeah, man. that. Yeah, it's definitely uh from two hundred in Louisiana, man. It's, it's definitely uh man. There's yeah. there's definitely. I've already talked to Scoopville Adventures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee, he's like, yeah, I have the days. You bring the people. Yeah, so that'll yeah, be a good time. That, that's happening. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. But I guess I mean, Joe, do you have it before we kind of wrap it up? Do you have anything else you kind of, you want to bring up? Uh, no, nothing really. I just really want to thank Jesse for one. Yeah, come down visiting. Um, a lot of people don't know, or you know, I'm um, you might not even know. Hey, Jesse's been a good hunting partner of mine for you know quite a long while. I've been through uh, Val and Honor and um, through uh, John and Ben Perez. One uh, fun fact, sentimental fun fact Jesse was there the first when Joey shot his first duck. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, I tell that story. Those yeah. wood ducks came in. We all shot, and this one lonesome. And then, you know, I told Joey, "Hey, you know, I try to teach safety as much safety as I can to the kids. Don't shoot, bud, until I tell you to." And I kind of got excited when all the, you know it was a pretty big group of wood ducks came in. We shoot, we drop some or whatnot, and then a lonesome Drake comes in, and all here is bam, splash. <laughs> I look over. I thought Jesse shot it, and he looks at Joey, and Joey's shucking his shell. And he's kind of like, "Oh man, Dad didn't tell me to shoot." And I was like, "Yeah, I was ecstatic at that point." Yeah. But yeah, that's a fun fact about Jesse. I mean, he was there when Joey shot his first duck on his right. very first duck hunt, where he got to shoot. Yeah, that was one of my favorite hunts I've ever been on too. We had so much fun goofing yeah. off that morning and. That was really cool. It, it, I mean, Joey just looked like 
Clint Eastwood chucking <laughs> that shotgun. He was the baddest dude in the blind that morning, no doubt. Yeah, he tells us he's told us that story a couple of times and kind of and uh, I see Joey shooting now. And man, uh, man, that, that kid can shoot. Yeah, he can. Uh, but yeah. I, I've seen some, uh, especially when Landon, before he started shooting that 20, him shooting that 410, the single shot, him making some. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell shots, you. Shots, I'm like, it's like, yeah. We're talking about shells with well, that 410. Yeah. I mean, especially I, was, I, I had him some, um, some number nine bismuth. From um, heavy bismuth, and during teal season, he was making some pretty, you know, poking that out the thirty yards, dropping some teal, you know, and then even with you dropping some of those uh, divers mm-hmm. with uh, that the four ten. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's such a weird time when when I grew up when we when probably when we all came up, you know, kid shot a uh, kid shotgun was a twenty gauge and everyone shot. Uh, a twelve, and even you were telling Jesse your dad used to shoot that big ten gauge. Yeah, and now I mean now you have guys shooting four tens. I was even of twenty twenty eight gauges. I didn't even know. Did any of y'all know there was a thirty two gauge? I did not. I did. I not. seen a I... box of shells of thirty two gauge in the store the other day, and I had a double look. I had to look at them like four or five times, <laughs> and then I googled it, and I guess like. And Europe, that's a big European gauge. Europe has different shocking gauges. But with this the sub gauge, you know, the technology of ammo and the sub gauges, man, it, you know, it's crazy what, you, what, what people are doing now with little fun guns. Yeah, that's insane. I think, uh, I mean, what we talked about, that's something I'm going to get my daughter on this season is a little 410 single shot. So. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited. Um, again, hey, Jesse, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was nice. It was nice meeting you. It's kind of our... I mean, we met before, but it was uh, I was on dial up. Yeah, well, uh, people don't know this is take two Bates, of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the Bates Hotel with uh, some really sketchy people, but uh, we'll 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 leave that for another podcast because I had some embarrassing moments over there. So and probably won't even talk about it. But I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> um, I really appreciate it, man. It was uh, really nice talking to you. I, I, we got a lot of a lot of great stuff uh, for the viewers and. Uh, Joe, um, it was really good, man. Do you have any Andy comments? No, hey, uh, so thanks again coming on, and got me definitely. I'm gonna link up with you in Turkey season, and um, get you, brother, and your dad down here for a teal season. We need to make that happen. That sounds like a plan, Joe. Thank you guys yeah. so much for having me on. Thank you for what you're doing with Valor and Honor and promoting that. And this is really cool. Um, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, no problem. Hey, no, no problem. And like always, uh, like we end the show, I want to thank Val and Honor Outdoors for what they do for our veterans, service members, first responders, and uh, other organizations that do that just like them. Uh, I also want to thank um, everybody that supported us from here, from this point on, and uh, we're just going to keep on going and uh, keep this movement going. So like always, y'all have a good one and uh, let Val and I fail. Mm-hmm.